You're listening to the Revenge of the Birds podcast, part of the SB Nation Podcast Network, hosted by Blake Murphy 7 and Johnny Touchdown. All about your Arizona Cardinals. Hello, welcome in. This is the Revenge of the Birds podcast. This is part two. Uh, we're kind of dropping a, a bit of a twofer for our show this week. Normally we'll Woo-hoo. space things out for a couple of days, but we've just been going so well, at least for the most part, with um, the, the Cardinals are at with their position. We wanted to focus especially on uh, their general manager for this part of the show. Uh, we were just getting into some of it if you were listening in on part one. So uh, let's take it off. Let's take it up from there, John. With Steve Kime, you basically wrote an article on Revenge of the Birds saying it's time to part ways with Steve Kime where we last had left off. We talked about how if the Cardinals have a another embarrassing loss to start 0-5, you could see scenarios at least where the Cardinals are reactionary one way or the other. I would think that's very possible after the disappointment. Uh, talk a bit. Why do you believe that with everything that the Cardinals have gone through with, and we've we've talked about this, is it best to keep you know two years with the consistency of a GM who believes in this Cliff Kingsbury, Kyler Murray experience, or do you believe that it's time to move on? You took the opinion that it's time to basically let him go and time to fire him. Kime's time needs to end. What were the reasons that you said that, John? I want to hear. Well, it was funny. Blake and I uh, um, coincidentally both put out semi-hit pieces on Steve Kime on the same 24-hour period on revengeofthebirds.com. So I would encourage you also to check out Blake's piece as well. Um, We cover it, I think, a little bit from different perspectives. But mine was pretty cut and dry. Um, I have been on the fence about stating this publicly. I've, I've never been somebody that rushes to Twitter and says, so-and-so needs to be fired. It's time to move on. Blake knows me. If anything, I'm more patient with a lot of these hirings. I don't want the team to come off like the Jets or the Browns, where you're just flipping um, executives and coaches for the sake of it uh, as kind of fan service. Uh, but with that being said, I, I think we have enough tangible evidence now over the course of Steve Kime's seven years as general manager to, to know that um, it's time to move on. It's not been a failure. As a lot of people want you to think that he's had the most successful run is sustained success in franchise history. Um, and, and that's great, but that time is over. Um, and I get it. You probably would have preferred to move on last off season. They didn't, but I just think that the talent that he's accumulated has not produced the way, and I'm not really counting the rookie class. I'm counting his previous, probably six draft classes. I'm counting his most recent free agent class the slew of players that he picked up off the waiver wire that he convinced us in March were going to be capable players for them. None of them are panning out. All of his waiver claim pickups, Farrell Cooper, um, DJ Swearinger, Robert Alford's hurt. A bunch of these guys that he claimed that, that they thought were going to be uh, quality players as the roster churn happened in, in February and, and March. They started making these moves early. All of them have, for whatever reason, um, backfired right into his face. I mean, Marcus Gilbert for a six-round pick, he's not playing. Look, that's on Steve Kime. I mean, I don't care if he's healthy or not. At the end of the day, is he suiting up for the Cardinals? No. I mean, it's the same reason why we all blame him for Jonathan Cooper. 
Um, it was course, every single thing, the whole narrative yeah, this offseason. If healthy, he's going to be great. Right. And if you have to put if healthy in front of Ifs that, and maybe and, 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 and wishes and prayers. Uh, and, and I'm so worried because with DJ Humphreys on the other side, you're going to have like another rookie tackle, or are yeah. you going to end up having to? Are you going to move Justin Murray over? Like it's it's another thing at least. Now, granted, DJ he did bounce back as we talked about from his three sack um, that he led up in the week previously against Carolina, but he's going mm-hmm. up against a really banged up either Ziggy Ansa or some of the other linebackers who were there. He didn't have to face Jadavion Clowney on the other side. So yep. I, I think that you're right, John, in that each of the times it's like we're seeing the the same mistakes that are made again and again, and that's what's most frustrating to a lot of fans. Yeah, Darius Philon was signed as one of their marquee free agents, gave him a three-year contract. He was cut by the team for aggra- aggravated arrest. Uh, that's on time. I don't care uh, if the player had no prior history. I mean, that's that's on your resume. It's it's bad luck, but it's in, it compiled with everything else. If you've got a, a pristine resume and that kind of thing happens, you get the benefit of the doubt. Steve Keim doesn't. John, Robert Kimdichi, who was the team's first-round pick in 2016, was a complete bust, and they let him go this offseason. So there's two premium players that they thought they were going to have on the defensive line that are not currently present with the team. Uh, and then you talk about the players that he has drafted in the first round. None of them have even sniffed a second contract extension. DJ Humphreys and Dayon Buchanan are the only two that had their fifth-year options picked up. The rest have been shipped out of town for whatever reason. Um, and then I think you can also talk about the players that he drafted that he, for whatever reason, decided to part ways with. Tyron Matthew, they mishandled that contract situation. He cut. He was cut. And now he's a contributor on a Kansas City team. That, that's paying him a lot of money. Marcus Golden was yep. was brought on to the New York Giants this past offseason for a nickel. He's got three and a half sacks in four games. John Brown has been a consistent producer. Mm-hmm. Tony Jefferson. He's, a, he's the under- wide receiver one for the Bills now. Yeah. It's like that was what we thought he was going to be with the Cardinals. And and you're right. They took a team, then built it to a championship caliber team. And then yes. while things did fall apart in 2016 some, they – just kept going and dismantling it little bit by bit by bit instead of keeping their own guys because they handed out poor contracts or were extending players and then ultimately didn't prepare for that by drafting a rookie quarterback in 2017 to prepare for Carson Palmer's inevitable leaving. And so now you've got year two of the rookie quarterback. Here you go again. <laughs> yeah, and I'm starting to think, like, we've talked about the egregious uh, evening that was the first round of the 2017 draft, and Hassan Reddick always will be tied to – Mahomes and Watson, and I don't want to put our, our fan base or our audience through that again, but I also think that the one of the biggest underlining factors I think the team needs to part ways with him is how he handled the Calais Campbell contract situation, allowed a player who I think is going to be a ring of honor candidate to walk when they had the money and they were paying guys like Jermaine Gresham big-time contracts, and instead Calais Campbell has elevated his career to, I think, a potential Hall of Fame career, and I, I mentioned that in my article. The Cardinals could absolutely use that five technique now on their defensive line. Sure, is he better suited yep. as a 4-3 defensive end? Yes. But if, but his leadership in the locker room, in the community, his contributions up front, and they just thought, oh, we'll replace him with Robert Kimdichi, who had never proven anything in this league. Uh, that is, that was, he that hadn't is proven anything get, in college football, too. His production that's was right. extremely low. Hey, uh, Kime built that, that, that championship-level roster in 2015 – he made the postseason twice. He brought in Bruce Sarians. He mm-hmm. turned around a slew of veteran careers. He made a couple savvy trades, and I think we should remember those fondly. 
But man, you cannot have an extreme DUI coupled with the worst year professionally of your life, considering you had the number one pick in the draft. You've sun- you've sunsetted a, a franchise rookie quarterback for another. You swapped out first year head coaches. You have countless mm-hmm. busts within the draft. That's probably the worst part. And now you're seeing that come to fruition with a team where we, we, we love the new head coach. We love the new quarterback. We want them to be successful. And who are we pointing the fingers at week in and week out because they're not succeeding? It's on Steve Kime. You're not going to find too mm-hmm. many articles locally, maybe nationally, because people don't want Kingsbury to succeed. But locally, everybody wants and knows what Kingsbury can do from an offensive standpoint. But they see the, the roster littered with holes, Blake. And, and it, it points back to one man. So, yes, I do think that the team right now, this is what I would do. And in my opening rant with this, mm-hmm. I would let go of Steve Kime following the Bengal game, regardless of what happens. I would promote from within, like we talked about on last week's podcast. I would let mm-hmm. Quentin Harris run the the rest of the duration of the season. You've already got your scouts scouting, mm-hmm. um, and so you can, you can that plays into the draft and in into the spring. You're probably not going to let them go. And then you play it by ear into the offseason. If you're impressed enough in the short time with Quentin Harris, um, you, you maybe go year to year with him. I don't think you can bring in a new GM with Murray and, and Kingsbury so embedded right now into what the Cardinals have uh, lined up with their future. I, I think you have to consistently have as much stability as you can, but you just need a new, a new fresh perspective, a new voice. Mm-hmm. And, and that could be Quentin Harris, somebody who would come up through the ranks similar to Rod Graves and Steve Kime did for Michael Bidwell. Yeah, that does seem like it's much more of a Cardinals-type move. I don't know as far as the timing if it will be, but I do agree with you that it might be worth seeing what happens. It's it's going to be tough with how just they don't have the, the cap room to be able to renovate and do a lot. Maybe it ends up being more of just a accountability area where you're like, hey, we've guys, I know we... Because right now with how the Cardinals are, you look and you see DJ Swearinger was cut and released. Michael Crabtree was released. It feels very similar to the 2018 season and almost like you're trying to motivate the players that are there, whereas the core problem is, hey, like... You know, you brought in Michael Crabtree on a deal expecting that this team would be competitive. You put a claim in on DJ Swearinger and expected him uh, with this defensive coordinator to be kind of your heavy hitter, and things just haven't worked out. Maybe it's a spot of where the veterans, it's on them for seeing where this team is and, you know, not putting in their full effort. But, yeah, it's uh, – it's just it's rough for me because you're right, and what, part of the reason why I think a lot of people have appreciated Kingsbury, even though it's been a rough stretch, is because you've at least seen an improvement in production, and the, the, some of the production's been there from where they were at. The players even mentioned it from a year ago, and the areas where you're not seeing production right now are the guys that Steve Kime brought in, and so it's almost kind of like you're you know burning the burning the wheat from the burning the chaff away from the wheat. You're separating that out from. What's good about because almost nothing has gone right for Steve Kime as far as this offseason outside of Jordan Hicks signing. Terrell Suggs had a little bit of a bounce back, but for the money that they're paying him, you made a great point about how, hey, if you kept Marcus Golden, signed him to a two-year deal, and he was the one who was putting up that production, you'd be, we'd be praising that as far as a draft pick of keeping one of your guys that's there, uh, almost kind of taking a gamble on a guy a year after the ACL. Um, so it just feels like, to me, a lot of fans are going to feel like because the – 
biggest problem has been the expectations. Like we talked about it. Hey, if the expectation is you're going to be a six and ten team, well, right now they're looking more like you know a four and twelve team or a three win team again. Then fans are going to be disappointed. And when you've got a GM who I think you even mentioned in your article that when you've had the DUIs. People are going to be really, really, really not forgiving of you unless you can turn that around. Like people still to this day, some people don't forgive Michael Vick. A lot of people, you know, saw that fantasy season he put up in the production and they were like feeling that they were fine to move on. I think with Kime, he just does not have enough credence he's been able to build up to survive this season because of all the backlash like there's a tweet that gets 400 likes saying like hey the cardinals have changed any everything the only thing they haven't made a change of is gm and that's kind of what the cardinals did they set themselves up for a part where by keeping the general manager by not cleaning house by expressing all this confidence in his ability to rebuild a team they gave themselves no wiggle room they had to either put according to fan expectations or exceed it or if they fell short people were going to Throw the die right at him, even if it's other players that are there that are making issues and problems. So I think what it kind of comes down to is, and I said this with Cliff Kingsbury, you've seen that he's a guy who's really humble in a lot of different ways. He's admitted he doesn't know at all. He needed other people to help him. Um, you've seen the fact that he's been definitely, as far as with producing, he's been very much wanting to get in. And you've seen that he's at least shown that he's got the smarts. Like, this isn't a case where we're like, wow, this offense, John, like, it's not that it's not working at all each week, the Cardinals are driving in and being able to put points on the board. It's just they're not completing passes in the red zone. Is that kind of a scheme thing that's suggesting? We saw Kyler run into the red zone on a super well-designed play, so we know that it can be done. Um, you, you know, there's questions about is their offensive line going to just give up too much pressure? Well, like you and I are just saying, like if you look at those numbers, a lot of it is honestly Murray's holding the ball pretty long too as well not that the offensive line's been great you and I have agreed that they're just it's probably one of the weakest parts of the team but you're at least seeing that he's got some of those qualities where when you put those three things together I think you can see improvement with Kime you've just kind of seen this whether it's kind of an arrogance or an ignorance as far as when it comes to you know addressing the line and being able to actually go out and pay a guy who's going to be able to come in who's going to be a vet they did that the one year with Justin Pugh but here's the issue with Pugh you got a guy who was coming off of multiple injury seasons and was kind of coming in at a bit of a discount. You sign him to a five-year deal that the team's going to have to wait until two years, essentially, more from now to to get out of that deal. You're looking at the DJ uh, David Johnson contract, at least. It's something where, you know, it's very similar to the Tyron Matthew deal. You paid Tyron Matthew a lot of money coming off of the injury. You paid David Johnson coming off of the injury. You just have not seen that same type of production that you did previously, and something just changed, and you have to be willing to identify that and be able to scout your own talent because each of the steps we've seen is always the same. The Cardinals of the last three years have always come out saying, like, hey, we're a team that's going to be a playoff team. We're a team that's going to be competitive. And each year they've kind of fallen flat on their face. They were kind of saved and bailed out a bit in Bruce Arians' last big push as the head coach. But each case, it comes across where the Cardinals are not evaluating their own talent on the roster well. And that's why then they're cutting guys they brought in and trying to put other people. And it's like you're throwing potatoes at a wall to, to see what sticks. And that's where I think the thing I'm most frustrated about with Steve Kime is you look at this team and the Cardinals thought that they were going to be maybe not the bell of the ball, but at least an interesting team that people would be paying attention to. And really what it feels like at least, and I meant to put this in the article, is it feels like you just took the same old pig that was there, you put a little bit of lipstick on it for the most part, and you expected it to be able to go out and perform. And, from the, and as you've seen at least right now, this is still what looks like to be a same similar three-win Cardinals team. Now there's 75% of the games to play, 
but the core problem hasn't changed. And so now what comes in, a lot of fans are basically like asking, when is Kime going to be fired? What's going to happen? Some are even just saying you can't keep him when you're going into this huge 2020 season with cap space, cap room, and having the same kind of old tired vision that you've seen. you got to be able to go ahead and make a change. And I, I kind of agree with you. I think I would... Say if you wanted to go ahead and promote from within, give it to a younger guy, and then also say, hey, bring in an outside influence. Like if it's a guy like a Reggie McKenzie, or maybe you even look at yep. you know a young guy where you start interviews. I would think that the time frame, at least that I've told people, is if this is going to happen, we, we still don't know. Like it, I would be, if the Cardinals continue on this path and don't have a quick turnaround, they were mentioning on almost every single podcast this week, every single radio show this week, it's mentioning that Steve Kime right now, the seat, has cranked up again where it's hot again and so people are not saying okay well when is it not going to be when when is it going to be and that's what i said last week to, um, to you john is right now vance is off the team for me for next year he just hasn't shown enough so far unless he radically changes things with patrick peterson back and even then like peterson's not a guarantee past 2020 uh, for this team, at least right now, and with Steve Kime, he was off of the team for me too. And right now, it just seems like it's fast forwarding to the inevitable conclusion of the Cardinals letting go and firing their head coach, and then moving on another year from that, letting go of their GM, and it just being a huge mistake that you would have made in terms of needing to keep those guys for so long, and them just not performing according to what this team needs to be, John. I just I think you've invested too much in Kingsbury and Murray to even think about resetting. I, I think that I think that because of that they will probably wait. Michael Bidwell will probably give time another year. Uh, as crazy as that sounds, I think you're probably in the same boat. Like I I, mm-hmm. I don't think I think that you would have you would have had to have made a wholesale change in December of last year. And Michael Bidwell is loyal to a fault. Um, it took him a long time to part ways with Rod Graves and Ken Wisenhunt. Uh, you have any kind of success for a franchise that has been historically irrelevant and embarrassing, like the Cardinals have been. Mm-hmm. The majority of that is, is under Bill Bidwell, Michael's father. Anytime you bring um, even a small sustained success period to the franchise, you're going to be in, in, embedded into the Bidwell family, and that's what Steve Kime has been. He's been a part of this organization uh, for a long time, since the early 2000s, was elevated to GM and put together very, very respectable seasons, was the back-to-back pro football talk GM of the year in 2013-2014. And Michael Bidwell looks at the win-loss record more than he does personnel stats um, and, and I think he believes that, that Steve Kime knows quality players when he sees them, but has probably had a, a slew of bad luck, whether it's the Cooper injury or Kim Dishi off the field. I mean, it just I, I don't I don't know Kime as, as a person. I, I just think that he has become um, I like you mentioned, Blake, it's almost like an arrogance because. He had an opportunity to follow Rod Graves, who had put together some quality draft classes for the Cardinals, but for whatever reason, you know, they couldn't find the quarterback of the future. They didn't have the right combination, head coach, quarterback, GM. And he hit the nail or hit the, the ball out of the park from the beginning with, with himself, Arians, and Palmer. And then they just, they they all three of them worked so well together. But the, the further away we get from that era of Cardinal football, the more, especially now when you watch. Jason Light and Bruce Arians operate with a very comparable roster to the Cardinals in Tampa Bay. 
mm-hmm. and, you, and you watch that team have immediate success, it, it is Bruce Arians. And, and as much as I, I want to give Steve Kime credit for some of the moves that he's made, I, I do think that the majority of them were probably under the advisement of Bruce Arians. I think that they had a mutual respect for each other. And mm-hmm. toward the end of, of Arians' run as, as Cardinal coach, they probably needed to make a break just as a, as a franchise that, that, that they needed to find new direction, a younger coach. Their, their window had closed. Um, and I think Bruce got uh, a little hungry for immediate impact results outside of building sustained success with a young quarterback. Right. But those first couple of years in the desert, I really do think that Bruce had more personnel say than, than that it would be led to believe. And I think we're seeing that now because ever since then, Steve, specifically from a free agent standpoint, I mean, his free agent classes used to be near the top every season. They would bring in yep. one, two, two-year players um, on, on two-year deals, one or two-year deals, and they would be instant contributors and, and play up to what Arians wanted to do. Would put them, he and Todd and James, to a lesser extent, put them in the best position to succeed. And now it's like every offseason for the really the past couple of years, the, the, the players that he signed not only are non-impact players, they are liabilities. I mean, DJ mm-hmm. Swearinger, Justin Pugh, a lot of these players, all of those offensive players he signed last season with Sam Bradford and Glennon. I mean, it's just none of them can, can play. I mean, Jordan Hicks is probably the closest that that he's found recently for a contributor. And I think he leads the NFL in tackles right now. But, I mean, he's he's fine. He's not an impact player. He's he's a body right now on a bad team. Yeah. Um, and and so, uh, to me, I, every everybody else is just a band aid, fill in, underdeveloped, um, you know, lack of talent on this roster. And you supplement that with the fact that they have not drafted well, and that's that's how you get to three and thirteen. That's how you get to o over in September for the second consecutive mm-hmm. season. So. You know his little his little um, you know sprinkles of, of quality free agents with Bruce Arians work because Arians could coach them up and then they had put together a respectable roster. The state of the Cardinal roster, if you remember, from 2012 to 2013 was not poor. The the quarterback play was terrible and so it, it brought down that whole team. But they had mm-hmm. Calais and Darnell and they brought back Dansby and they had Peterson still relatively young. You still had Larry Fitzgerald. They had some significantly more talented pieces. Bobby Massey was on that team. Um, competent players, Lyle Senline. Mm-hmm. And then you were elevated by Palmer and Arians and their greatness and Todd Bowles, and they made a couple nice trades. But now you've seen the erosion of, at the end of the day, outside of everything else that he's done, his inability to hit picks in the mm-hmm. draft, not only from an impact standpoint, but just from a quality standpoint, yeah. he can't find with high picks, Blake. He can't find capable starters. It's and been it's been the the only year that you're really finding capable starters has been this year. Even in 2018, when you're talking about with uh, with Rosen, with Kirk, with Cole, a lot of those guys have just taken like a even with Chase Edmonds for the most part. Like Rosen got shipped off, and Kirk is. While I agree with you that he's at least been good for the season, it's like he hasn't really like cemented himself as a wide receiver one. As far as becoming a wide receiver two, it's still not been exactly what I was expecting. They traded as far up as for him, and yeah, Mason Cole and Chase Mason Edmonds, Cole, your yeah. third and fourth round picks from 2018 with this mm-hmm. team should be playing every every game should play yep. every game every down at whatever position you picked and they don't They're play not. both of them yep. don't play yeah it's been really frustrating i think what you're touching on john is that 
under Bruce Arians with the Cardinals, they had a vision of what they wanted to accomplish, and everything was kind of on the same page with the same vision. They knew what they were as far as a team. They were saying, wait, we're going to basically be a team that's going to push and go deep. We're going to be a team that's going to focus on basically just blitzing the heck out of you. They had an identity, and they would either find players who would fit into that identity, and now they had draft picks, at least, that, as you can see, kind of eroded over time. But they were trying to find guys who were good football players, at least, who didn't have to be, you know, good, smart football players. And what we saw, at least from the 2016 season on, was uh, kind of, hey, we're going to basically bring in Robert Kimdichi to replace and substitute, and we're going to draft a guy who played running back for the first few years, at least, and play him Terrible. in the corner. We're going to go at now. They, they made a trade overall for Chandler Jones, which is kind of still the cream of the crop, which is good because, but it ultimately still focused a lot on, hey, we're a team that's going to be focused on bringing in a ton of veterans, be able to draft in rookies to kind of develop behind those veterans. And we're going to be a team that wants to try to win now and win quickly. When it's turned into the rebuild and when you've got time to spend, cap money to spend, when you're looking at they want for an identity built around, hey, we're going to say whatever identity we had, we're going to go ahead and change all of that up. We're going to become a 4-3 defense. We're going to heavily run the ball up the middle with David Johnson. We're not going to go ahead and take deep shots. We're going to dink and dunk. And then when Rosen came in, you moved and fired to a different... And so it's just been this element kind of of chaos because you don't really have a single consecu- a single vision that you really are looking to have. The only person who right now has kind of had an overall vision that came in was Cliff Kingsbury in terms of saying, hey, this is what we're going to run my air raid, and my vision for that features Kyler Murray. It doesn't feature Josh Rosen, and it's the only area on the team that you've really overall seen improvement for the most part in. You did at least get to see some nice pieces at least in Zach Allen and some of the attacking defense for the most part but outside of what and this is what's interesting to me John is that was all taken care of in the draft the issue that Kime has had this year has been in a lot of those free agents and the Kime time signs and the picks and all of the dead money that they've had from guys they've signed that they've had to move on from and that's what's curious is because the Cardinals have made one or maybe I guess you could say two big change within their front office this season which was the demotion of Terry McDonough out of the assistant director, I believe, at least of the team, our, our president and, and president of player personnel has now been Quentin Harris, who's been promoted. He was the guy that you saw in 2018 who was getting all of the interviews when Kime was out. They were talking to him. It was kind of like you could tell at least they're not going to let him be a guy who's talking in the preseason for like an entire quarter unless they can think pretty highly of Quentin Harris. And you're not going to see as nearly as much Adrian Wilson or even mention, hey, like we hired Cliff Kingsbury. We got some input from Ernie Acorsi. We know some other, you know, teams at interest. The Rams wanted him on for the postseason, at least. The Patriots were looking at him if Josh McDaniels was leaving what was reported. The Jets basically were trying to go and hire him from what we heard, and he was going to go to the Cardinals. And the other person who was mentioned along with that was Adrian Wilson as having a huge part in hiring it. So we at least know from those two were the ones who are promoted. There's a lot of favor, at least, that they've had so far. I don't know if it's an inevitability to say at least. It still feels like the kind Bidwell relationship to this point at least is seen consistent. Maybe it's going to show cracks. But for the most part, John, you're right in terms of it seems kind of like the Cardinals have been moving away from some of this for a while and toward kind of a newer, fresher direction. Uh, even the overall pick that you had of the draft, it still feels like it was a not a kind pick to go ahead and take Kyler Murray. It still feels like that, you know, you look at the two who are coming in. It was a defensive head coach. It wasn't real Mike McCoy pick for that one. It was a Steve Kime pick with Rosen. It was probably much more of a, as what we know, a Cliff Kingsbury pick of Kyler Murray 
the fact that they made that alone just made me wonder if it was going to be even all the way back in March. <laughs> we were wondering, like, John, like, you know, we're March, and then even through the draft, it's like, John, like, they're drafting off of the PFF draft guide. Like, if they're having Cliff is picking the quarterback and Pro Football Focus is drafting the players, then what is Steve Kime here for if just for the veteran free agents? So I do think that this is going to be it for him. Like, if he's kept, it's going to be very difficult, I think, for the Cardinals because the backlash is going to be something that we haven't really experienced in the state of Arizona because they've always seemed to know at least the absolute point of when to move on from guys. You knew if Wiz was kept for 2013, it would have been a revolt. If you'd kept Rod Graves through 20. 13 would have been a revolt. Even look at earlier where it was 2006 at least with Denny Green when they brought in Rod Graves. I think that Kime is on his way out and that's partially because Bidwell is an owner who's going to be at least savvy enough to not pull a Marvin Lewis and keep a guy in there for a job of way too long overall. Yeah, I, I totally agree, Blake. And what I will say is that his draft was very unkime. I think that they, they were very analytic heavy. They've installed that analytics side they've made it a priority to the, to the yeah, front and, and office props for steve for at least going out and doing that for taking the changes to do yeah. all of that it just has not really reflected in terms of the players that you're more well counting i think on it's, to unre- it's win unrealistic too. to be like hey rookies on the worst team in the league save us yeah. you know and so what i will say is this draft is is a success if kyler murray pans out um but the you know the ironic thing is he might not be able to pan out now from a talent standpoint this isn't mitch trubisky this is, we think this guy's really talented, but the team in the roster is awful, so we might, you know, waste his potential on this team. Uh, it's still mm-hmm. a long way from that, but I, I do think between Murphy and, and Murray that this is going to be a draft where you at least look back and say, we got re- two really good players, and then if you mm-hmm. get a couple capable players outside of it, some role players, some situational starters, you can look at 2019 as the year where you really started your Turned rebuild. the corner, yep. Absolutely. And then you start to layer it. I always tell people when they ask, well, how do you build a championship team? I don't know how to build a championship team, but I know that what I've heard is you have to put together three solid off seasons, right, where you're yep. consistently hitting on – Three drafts in a row, three free agent periods in a row, and then you're ready to compete again. And so, the quarterback. That's the most important yes. part because you Assuming look at the that Bears. Assuming you have the quarterback yeah. in one of those three drafts. Absolutely. You look at the Bears so. from when they drafted. Um, there was uh, Basically, they had their rebuild season. They got let go of John Fox. They are able to start rebuilding from With some Trubisky. of the picks Trubisky from that. Trubisky was on Trubisky. that team. I think people yep. forget. Yeah, and then you get to this year, and this year is kind of the Bears supposed to go for it year, and then you're just like, ugh. ugh. And the Bears, just, I think, were a little bit ahead of schedule, too, yeah, last year. Tr- better with Chase Daniel this last week than they have with Trubisky for a while. And that's what's unfortunate is, like you said, it turns into a spot where what you don't want to have happen is the opposite, where you don't want to have a good team that's then wasted by a poor quarterback. You also want to make sure that you're not burning up a whole lot of a young quarterback where they're having to consistently keep having things get reset, keep trying to do rebuilds until the point where it gets to the end of that rookie deal where you're just going to be like, all right, like, how much do we want to pay him? And we don't really feel like we know what he is yet. We don't what's going to happen. And fortunately for a team like the Dallas Cowboys, they're kind of seeing what they're <laughs> they're going to going to be paying. You know, about forty million a year or so for Dak Prescott after they've waited a long time to pay for him. But that's because of a lot of the incompetence that um, ultimately led up to that on not the offensive line that they built, but on the other position people around him. Finally, you got up to a point where you've got an offensive coordinator, a defensive coordinator who seems like they can at least put together a solid team for the most part. The Cowboys are 3-1 and one and look to be the leaders in their um, division, even ahead of a team like the Eagles that's won Super Bowls too. So 
Um, yeah, I, I'm with you, John, at least. This is going to be what's important. So with that, let's. I want to transition a little bit into talking about um, 2020. Uh, I did a little bit of research looking into some of the offseason because right now with the Cardinals as, as where they are, you probably have a – and this is this is kind of where I think where you're right on the three offseasons in a row for you to rebuild. You kind of are looking at building – somewhere from maybe a quarter to half of your team every offseason as far as your core players, your solid role players, your veterans, moving on from the players who are underperforming. You're kind of looking at right now, you probably have about, I I at least counted for the most part, like out of the 53-man roster, you probably have about maybe about 20 guys or so for next season. You got your quarterback is filled. Um, You're kind of with David Johnson right now. You've got the running back behind him. Um You've got your wide receivers. The biggest thing, at least right now, is you look at the defense. You got probably half the defensive line. Maybe you need to get four solid guys there. You got one pass rusher that's going to be there for long term for next year. You got one inside linebacker and Hicks that we're pretty sure about. Um, you, your cornerback situation is going to be regarding with Patrick Peterson, and you're going to really have to see how these safeties play. You, you kind of have at least at this point. Well, they're going to be on 20, the. Ro- I think they'll be on the yeah. roster, but yeah, oh, I don't yeah. know if they're going to be you're, you're difference kind of, makers. You're kind of at that spot where you're like, okay, you kind of got half of a team that's maybe, and I'd say maybe half of a good team. So if you can have a good offseason, this next offseason, nail the draft, nail the offseason, then we're talking about this being, okay, we were hoping this year you'd come in, you'd have maybe 75% of a team, you do a good job of rebuilding, restocking with the draft, then you can kind of go for it next year. This might be a case, John, where you're talking about a three-year, maybe not a three-year, three-year rebuild, but three years to be able to say, yeah, you've got a great team, and that's what I think is going to be well, where you're in it for the long haul. That's part of why I think you do want to move on from Steve Kime now, where you're not having to then look at 2020 and saying, all right, well, we kind of tried to win again. We uh, keep seeming to think that we're going to compete for it, and we're not. We need to start the rebuild now, and then you've got you know two years left, and are out on some of your talent that you were bringing in that's kind of aged out a bit too so i don't know what, yeah, what are some I, of your thoughts for the 2020 moves and what the cardinals need to focus on well i think your goal is is 500 next year and if anything additional happens after that great um but i think depending on how this year finishes i mean we really have to see it's how the rest tough of the to talk about out, next right? year. yeah it's tough to talk about next season when but, we're a quarter of the way through the season and it feels like the season's over for us and for a lot of fans because it looks so much like last year yeah, here's what I will tell you. Um, not to jump around too much, but I get a lot of cap questions on Twitter. Um, like I have this supreme insight. Go to overthecap.com. They break it down uh, really well. Here are the top 10 cap hits for the Cardinals next Ooh. season. The Cardinals are set to have $83 million in cap space. Let's just focus on the top five first. Mm-hmm. The top five in terms of cap hit. Uh, Chandler Jones is making $21 million next year. You figure they're going to keep him around at that number. Um, David Johnson's at 14. Again, it's a little bit of a luxury, but at the same time, you know, he, he's, he's not going anywhere. You, you would assume Patrick Peterson, if they've held on to him this long, he's got one more year on his deal. He's going to make a little over 13 million. Uh, Justin Pugh, 10.5. Mm-hmm. They release him. They save roughly 6 million. But so watch out. Some dead watch money out. there too, right? Yeah. Yeah. 4.5 million. So that's, mm, I, I, yeah. I would say right now that that is leaning toward, Probable, but maybe still 50-50. And then Jordan Hicks at a, at a competent $10 million. Then after that, it's Murray. It's Robert Alford, who you mm-hmm. think would they, they would bring back. Um, J.R. Sweezy at $7.5 million, uh, who I think has probably been – or excuse me, $5.5 million, mm-hmm. who I, I, that right now feels like a pretty safe bet to be back even in a backup role. Hassan Reddick I don't think is going anywhere just on a, his rookie deal. 
you, you get down after the first maybe six or seven players, and it's a lot of replacement level players that yep. you think would be churned. It's guys on the rookie deal. Really, mm -hmm. the only bad contract that I see, and again, I am not I I love David Johnson. I'm not mm -hmm. ready to put that on the bad contract yet. Is it unfavorable? Maybe, but I do think unlike somebody like Justin Pugh, you're at least getting value from as a receiver and I, I do think situationally he does help this team um so i'm not i'm not saying that's egregious yet uh maybe in, maybe in year three or four but not next year uh chandler jones still a high level player yeah peterson we we, we hope is still at that level and if jordan hicks leads the leagues and tackles for 10 million that's that's a pretty good deal so you need to be optimistic when you look at that and say okay what's kyler murray making kyler murray next year for for all of the um you know, the issues that they've had this year offensively, the mm -hmm. sacks uh, applied to him. He's making $8 million next year. Yeah. That is that is a steal of a deal when you compare it to guys like Kirk Cousins. Then you, you scroll down a little bit more. Oh, it's exciting. In the next three years after that, you'll get that. And then you're hoping that you can build up a team. And I would love to be able to, you know, I'd love to get a quarterback you could pay the moon to like other teams are about to do. Like, yeah, yeah. sure, if you can build into a championship or at least a competing. Because right now a lot of stuff, it's like, you know, there's a championship window we've seen from a lot of teams with good star young quarterbacks. That, I think, is the ultimate goal. Your yep. hope is that you'll be able to, you know, build into a competent area for all that. Because I think I agree with you, John. If you get, say, four more years of the same of this and kyler is gonna be you know calling the a's or something like you know it's like what is it like the drunk texting your ex or something like that just saying like take me back the one thing that's interesting about the what you looked at with the contract is the one name that's missing from there because it hasn't been decided yet is larry fitzgerald we have no idea what's gonna go on with him yeah um, four games through the season do you think that fitz stays or you think that he goes because i'm Little, not like more on the fence that I was, but I think that there's more of a chance that he, as far as like we've seen some of the terrible injuries and with guys with his body, I, I feel like it's kind of in a weird, a weird split as far as if he's going to come back for another year. If he thinks, especially if it ends up being, you know, a rough year where you finish four and twelve, because he came back partially because he said he didn't want to go out like that, and you're no, I, kind of I going mean, down this area too. So I will put, uh, uh, put me down as a hundred percent. I think he returns. Um, it's at $11.25 million cap hit this year. I, I, I could see that in the same neighborhood next year. Yeah. Larry's going to eclipse health permitting to both he and Murray. He's going to eclipse 1,000 yards. He's going to have the same He's going to have the same quarter, quarterback coach. He's going to have the same head coach. Excuse me, not quarterback coach. Same head coach in Cliff mm -hmm. Kingsbury. Same scheme that has elevated him. Uh, don't undervalue that. They yeah. need him for next year. Um, Michael Bidwell will probably personally um, try to uh, – load him into staying or coax him into staying i should say <laughs> if you thought larry was going to retire it would have been after last year when the team plateaued and they changed up the head coach or 2017 with palmer Rosen. when he came back yep. it was a big indication i think when he decided I, to come back yeah. how are you going to spin it to larry next year that they're not going to be better with murray in his second year kingsbury in his second year they're going to add a bunch of players i i i think i think we're going to see at least one more season from larry fitzgerald if not i Anytime that people think that Larry's gone for reasons other than football, I think Larry's going to leave when Larry can't play football anymore. And right now, the way he's taking care of himself, his nutrition, his style of play, I, I think Larry's going to play until he physically can't. I think he's, I think he likes money, not gonna, you know, like the rest of us. Yeah. But I, I think he enjoys the, um, you know, competitive nature of it. I think he enjoys attempting to pass 
Jerry Rice in in receptions. If he, I think <laughs> if he averaged five per game throughout the rest of his career, he would pass Jerry Rice in early 2022. I'm not saying that's likely, but I yeah. I think it's a I think it's a near lock that he's back, and I will eat a ton of crow if that's not the case. So I think yeah, you can pencil Larry in uh, into the top ten paid Cardinals for next year, top mm-hmm. five I should say. But the point I did want to make, Blake, is you're. Byron Murphy's making 1.8 million next year. Uh, Buda yeah. Baker's making 2.1. Those are cornerstone players you would think. Um, somebody like Andy Isabella is making a little over a million. But then you look at Christian Kirk, 1.6. If you mm-hmm. hit on one of these two rookie Thompson safeties, they're they're making just under 700 thousand dollars. Yeah, you hit on the draft picks, it changes your whole That's team. That's how the Seahawks it? built their dynasty. It was a combination of Russell Wilson's rookie contract and then all of those premium day three picks. That mm-hmm. turned out to be superstars for them that they didn't have to pay a dime to for four yep. or five years. Uh, I'm not saying that's likely, but I think that that just why why it makes so much more sense to go young over the course of these next 12 games, see what you have, reassess, and then really try to be smart. And I want to preface this by saying you want to be smart with your money. And, of course, everybody would say that, but don't mm-hmm. spend it just to spend it. Indianapolis did a good job of this in this offseason, whereas teams like the Jets and a bunch of other teams went out and spent big in free mm-hmm. agency on, on – outside. I really like C.J. Mosley. They didn't do a lot of – you know, they just paid money to, to spend money to spend money, whereas the Colts yeah. had, I think, roughly $100 million in cap space. They still have a least. lot of cap space to yeah, extend their own they guys They carried too. it over – um, yep. I would like to see the Cardinals do that. Go out, fill some needs, get some players on some cheaper, you know, high-end contracts where you, you front-load it. Get maybe one or two players that you say, okay, we're going to pay these guys a lot of money because we need them now. But then save some of it for future contracts, hopefully to extend some of these young players, and for, for years three and four of Murray's deal. So it's it'll be probably, Blake, I think the biggest offseason this franchise has faced since after the 2015 season where you thought they were going to make a Super Bowl You're making run. your direction. You're making your vision. Yep. You're casting that. This, and it's because you've had a consistent, an inconsistent vision ever since basically the 2016 season. And so absolutely. they said last year, every year we've said, oh, it's always the biggest. The reason why it's been the biggest each time has been because they've gone in with a question at the quarterback position. At 2017, no hey, is this Palmer's last year? you got to get a guy at 2018. you got Josh Rosen and Sam Bradford. And going into this year, we still didn't know at least if it was going to be Josh or Kyler and then going in it's like when you get Kyler it's like is it going to work like what's going to happen so that's where I agree with you that next year is going to be a key as far as for making a lot of decisions now one of those questions that I'll pop up that people have been asking me a lot out of is the player who's getting paid a lot for that next year and then does not have any other deers after that is Patrick Peterson who as we all know, last year had the trade request that came up. He's currently suspended for six games. There was PED use and then a potential cover-up is what has been speculated with that. The interesting thing, at least, that I've been looking at is, is he a guy who, and this is kind of where I've always been on the case where people have said, should you trade him? And I said, no, 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 no. There was always at least kind of one exception I said, which was if you're looking to re-sign Patrick Peterson, I think that that should be step one. You go and say, hey, this is a guy who we want to keep for the next few years of his premiere because there's so few cover corners that can play the game like he does. He's a, such a consistent guy. Like he's, he's been not almost as close as like the Larry of the defense essentially for you. And at 29, he still has plenty of game left. The biggest question I know at least is if you come back to an Owen an 0-5-1 Cardinals team after his suspension, after he already wanted to be traded to a contender from last year. 
is he going to want to stay here? And that's something that I'm just, I'm not sure. And are the needs that the Cardinals have as far as for a rebuilding team, since you now have an offensive identity under Cliff Kingsbury, kind of leads me to this question. So do you think, John, that if we get to this offseason, and I don't know what's going to happen with Peterson, if he'll want to stay, if it'll be there, I, it could be a case where the Cardinals make him the highest paid corner in the game again, if with all the room that they've got for the cap space and their ability to see the window and realizing we need this guy. But would you consider, at least, depending on what obviously would be with the return, we've discussed that on our podcast in the past, would you consider trading Patrick Peterson away for draft picks as part of the rebuild? Not now. Uh, I was on the record. You know this, Blake. I would have traded him last year when he requested a trade, and I would have tried to maximize it for mm-hmm. a first and a third or a first and a second, whatever I could have gotten. Not because I first foresaw the, the suspension, but I, I knew the team was going to be a while before they were competitive again, and so mm-hmm. I would have try to cash in those resources um i I probably wouldn't deal them now i just think that the return would be too low for the kind of player the the upside i think i think there's a disconnect between cardinal fans and and the perception of the league on patrick peterson um especially when you are going to have to extend him why give up premium Mm -hmm. resources on a on a 30 plus year old defensive back that i immediately have to pay um whereas last year you could have dealt him he would have had two years left on his contract you could have sold that to a team like New Orleans or Dallas or somebody who was ready to make a Super Bowl run. I, I just mm-hmm. Peterson now is damaged goods off the field in terms of his suspension. People wondering if he is he still has, you know, a, mm-hmm. be a number one corner capabilities in him. Um, and so I think really the, Murray's contract uh, affords certain luxuries uh, like David's contract and I think like an extension for Patrick Peterson. I if he's still uh, close to what he was, I would extend him uh, a couple years. I would front load it to coincide with Murray's rookie contract and I would I would put the cornerback position to bed I would have Robert Hmm. Alford assuming he can stay healthy and is capable Byron Murphy Patrick Peterson uh manning my corner um position for the next couple years during this run of getting Murphy and Kingsbury's offense up the ground running this Mm -hmm. next transition into Cardinal football um because I think Murphy you have a high upside uh low end number number one corner and then Patrick Mm -hmm. Peterson's a future Hall of Famer so I wouldn't trade him now because I think the return. I think I, 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 do, I don't think you could get a first round pick for him. Yeah, now. I well, be, I, I, I think I, I think I agree with you there. And right, if you're like, let's say that he hits week says he's back, and then you trade him, I think you're right. I think that you would have to see him come back and then play out the rest of the season, at least for the most part, to be able to go through each of those different steps to say, yep, yep, he's still the same player he always has been for the most part. Um, what I do at least also agree with is that, as we've seen, like when you trade players during the season, it's like for pennies on a dollar for the most part. Mm-hmm. Like even even Jimmy Garoppolo, like he was traded mid season to the to the Niners, and the Browns were looking at the Patriots like, wait, what? Wait, wait, we, we would have given you our first for him. What are you doing? And so that's where I think that you're right in that the value at least would have to be in a spot where it'd be much higher. Now, if he does return to the, and does end up building some of that value back up, this is kind of the one counter where I've like I've kind of moved to a little bit closer to 50-50 because the way I see the Cardinals have a couple of huge gaping holes at tackle, and I think they've got another huge gaping hole at least at receiver. If you don't think that the receivers have been as bad so far now, just wait with Christian Kirk potentially out for a while. We haven't heard what the extent of the injury is, unfortunately, but it is a spot where Josh Norris even mentioned it today. At the, you've got Fitz and, and uh, Kirk are on the inside, 
and they just don't have the quality at outside receiver yet. That's been part of where Murray's a boundary thrower. They had all these boundary throws that we've seen being able to throw, and because they are lacking an outside receiver, it's really become an issue. So you want to address the offensive line. You can't ignore that, but you also see a huge need in trying to help a quarterback develop. And you're also going to look at, you know, you've got a need across from Chandler Jones at some point. So there's enough needs that are stacking up where I'm like, so it's like if you could get like a first and a second, maybe it's a second in 2020 uh, or 2021, I should say. Maybe the positive at least turns into, hey, if you're like you go into this year and you're like, hey, we've got two firsts. We've got uh, we've got two seconds this year and we've got two firsts and two seconds next year. Now, you may not hit on every single one of those picks, and that's why I've said, hey, I'm extending Peterson first as my first priority, but if he does want to leave, it's not as bad of a deal, I think, because you're at least going to be getting some of that out of it to help rebuild the team. So that's where I think I've been a bit more split, is I think maybe, yes, you can address more needs, but again, as you've even pointed out, you're then also opening up a new kind of wound in order to do that, and in that case, it's like, you know, whenever a team trades away a quality or a star player, there's always usually issues that you'll have with the picks even this year with the Raiders they traded away Khalil Mack and they drafted Claylon Farrell who's just not looked good as a pass rusher in the meantime so you still have to hit on those picks I think it's really going to be interesting this offseason when Peterson comes back if it turns into the same old Patrick Peterson we've expected we see improvement and the Cardinals offer him a large deal if he doesn't take it I don't think I'm as worried honestly as a Cardinals fan Byron's helped at least a lot with that you're not having to worry about being the worst passing defense but it is I think an interesting question and we'll definitely ask it a lot I think when we do get into the offseason especially if Peterson is wanting to you know win now and if a team like the Chiefs is saying hey we'll give you two first if you want because we feel like this is the missing piece to add next to Tyron Matthew finally get past these teams in the AFC East so uh, that's all I'll say with that um the one thing I did also want to at least address and this will be some of what we have is um just looking at the 2020 class for some of the moves, it's really hard to see them addressing and getting a tackle in free agency, honestly, John. Like, it's you can see that there's some that are good out there. Like, you got Anthony Costanzo at left tackle. You're seeing, like, a guy like um, Beecham. You, a couple of guys are eh, or at least older. Maybe you could get by um, with DJ Humphreys if he continues to play well. You can do that. Right tackle, you've got guys like Brian Balaga. You've got a young guy like Jack Conklin. Maybe his knee is not as good for that one. You've got some older people as well. Um, you've got some pretty good guards, at least, in Leary, Scherf, and Pete. I think what's really interesting, at least overall, is as far as for building a team, and this is kind of what the question's been asked, is how much of that do you think should go into with the offensive line, with being able to spend, with what's available versus focusing on the draft to be able to meet some of those needs, especially when it comes to the offensive line. So is it a spot where the Cardinals should try to, you know, start selling some of the pieces? You know, I'm not saying that you want to go full Dolphins for the most part. Maybe it is a little bit of that, but what's the balance of that versus looking to free agency for some of that, John? What, what do you think at least it has to be for the Cardinals, and how would you feel like the Cardinals should – you know, allocate some of the resources moving forward, whether it's from forward from Steve Kime or just trying to take a step forward from this perpetual losing. Well, I, the Dolphins argument that people are trying to make is not competent because the Cardinals are already have what the Dolphins want. That's a quarterback. <laughs> yeah. uh, the Dolphins are putting together resources so they can target the quarterback they want, and they want to address other spots on the roster. But they they want to make sure should they fluke fluky win a game or two that they're in a position to. to out negotiate anybody for the top pick cardinals don't need to do that they have kyler murray um great question in terms of free agency um it's always kind of buyer beware isn't it but that doesn't mean uh-huh. value can't be had i think the cardinals are in a position based on the 
roster situation that they ought to be able to go into free agency and, and target the best players no matter the position. And I think that people who think that they can rebuild their offensive line in free agency have not been watching this team over the, over the course of the you last 30-plus years. You need years. to draft it a lot, too. And yeah. with free agency, unless you're going to overpay again, we even saw they went out and they paid Justin Pugh. Now, they didn't go out and pay the best guy in the market. They went out and paid a guy who had experience, was going to hit the market. But he got a payday partially, I think, because – he was an offensive line who had you, you, a lot of different starts, was a high draft pick, and it wasn't like they went out and paid you know, the uh, Roger Saffolds of the world a ton of money, at least. Yeah, franchise-level tackles do not hit free agency. Uh, interior offensive linemen generally toward the age of 30 hit free agency, and you can add an impact player like the Cardinals got with IU Potty for a year or two and have it be capable uh, yeah, at guard, maybe it's longer, at guard maybe or tenor. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Right, totally. but, and Alan Fanica can hit free agency. I remember when he went to from the from the Steelers to the Jets, that was a nice move. But if we're talking about Then an Evan Mathis can come along as well. Right. Like an Evan Mathis, which is if, never played it down for the team, basically. If you are talking specifically about the tackle position, either tackle, uh, you better be ready to draft and develop one uh, in the in the draft. You look at the teams that are succeeding right now that have um, an above-average offensive line. We saw the Baltimore Ravens up close. They got Ronnie Stanley in the top ten. He's a phenomenal player. You know, the Dallas Cowboys, who are pretty much the bell of the ball right now in the league outside the, the loss that they just experienced, they have two first-round tackles, essentially. They got Leola Collins essentially for free, and then they took mm-hmm. Ty- Tyron Smith in the, in the top ten. Uh, the Niners have two first-round tackles. Um, Andrew Whitworth was a first-round tackle once upon a time for the L.A. Mm-hmm. Rams. Uh, the Seattle Seahawks have a first-round left tackle. They traded for him from the Houston Texans and Dwayne Brown. I mean, it goes on and on. You saw what Houston gave Miami for their first-round tackle. They gave right. they gave up multiple firsts. So the Cardinals, here's what I, here's what I will say, and I, I think this is what's going to happen, assuming health permitting. Cardinals are going to bring back D.J. Humphreys if he uh, stays healthy for all 16 games. No matter his play, outside of a, just a complete plateau, he, he's going to have an up-and-down season like he's had so far where he'll play – uh, a competent game, he'll be solid, or mm-hmm. he'll be, he'll struggle, right? But yeah. I, I think that they, the, their thought process is, well, he would go out in the market and get a, and get a nice deal from somebody, um, and so we need to stay ahead of the curve. I don't know what that extension would look like. I, th- mm-hmm. I would think, like we've sk- speculated, he likes his time in Arizona. He's young. He's in his mid twenties. I think it would be mm-hmm. two or three years with a lot of guaranteed money up front to set him up. Um, I don't think they want to put it, put themselves in a position where they have to franchise him. I'm not, I'm not saying that's yeah. off the table. And he may not be able to get franchise. He may not be able to get franchised because you know when you're talking about what the franchise tag and how much that's going to be for a tackle mm-hmm. with how much they're getting paid. The other thing that's interesting, John, is I said the Cardinals and Humphreys are almost at opposite ends because the Cardinals aren't going to want to, I think, extend him until he can play all 16 games. And if they he's got to play the entire season, that's yeah, really worrisome. No now, on the other hand, Humphreys, if he plays all 16 games, he's going to go ahead and hit free agency is like maybe the best left tackle potentially on the market because I don't think Anthony Costanzo is leaving the Colts with all of their cap space and the Cardinals may be hesitant to like you know go out and give him like they they may be like hey we you're a 25 year old I I think in that scenario Blake I think they would I think they would franchise him I think they would say we have minimal cap responsibilities for a lot of these players um, we're gonna have to because they ha- they maybe, cannot go maybe into that's, free maybe agency that's the case for all with that, yeah. zero tackles. They have zero tackles if they let Humphreys go. They have nobody mm-hmm. to play right tackle. Um, that's that's assuming that you can't develop one of these uh, draft picks you have, um, or 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 you find one via a trade, or you bring back Gilbert or whatever. But I think you go into this draft with Humphreys as kind of your not your ace in your sleeve, but your insurance plan. Mm-hmm. You draft a tackle. 
you probably either play him inside or at right tackle the first year, very similar to what the Buffalo Bills are doing with Cody Ford, who projected as a left tackle. They're playing mm-hmm. him at right tackle because they have a left tackle under yeah. contract. And then you and then you you you, you kind of play it one year at a time. It's never a bad thing to have too many quality offensive linemen. But for for me, Blake, I think that you're right. Positions like franchise caliber pass rusher, mm-hmm. quarterback, and left tackle. They or I should just say tackle right now. They yeah. do not hit free agency. Well, it's especially That's left tackle because mm-hmm. this year we've seen four teams that drafted right tackles that are all starting and doing pretty well in the second round. So I think that you're right. It's the whatever yeah. the blind side is and whatever is facing with that. You do need two tackles, but it's like you can essentially scheme, get those guys some help. If the Cardinals are drafting tackles, maybe they're a bit more important just because of I, I had always kind of pictured and imagined that. The Cardinals were going to be needing to have completely solid guard, center, and right guards for that. I'm admitting I'm probably wrong on that aspect because a lot of those guys are dipping back inside and defenders are playing the Cardinals to try to get in Murray's grill. They're trying it, and mm-hmm. the interior of the line has played better than the tackles this year, obviously. Like Humphreys, we said, gave up the three sacks there. The right tackles have been an issue for Arizona this season. You're probably going to need to have to get two competent tackles for the most part, especially in a division now where they're kind of just keep yep. loading up on – pass rushers so I, I don't know the the interesting thing with the franchise tag to me is you also want to make sure that we've got no idea what the rest of the NFL thinks like Humphreys may be a guy who hits the free agent market similar to what we saw with Rodney Gunter expecting a big raise a multi-year deal and ends up coming back on like a yeah, one year eight million dollars value, and, though I think I yeah think yeah and just I, I, I lean towards you at that. that too so that's where it's like and that's going to be a really interesting decision you also don't know if the Cardinals do get a new GM he may come in and be like oh you have Humphreys for that nope we're moving on completely we I'm going to go ahead and find another guy to be able to bring in because I can get that same caliber of play and not have to worry about paying it as, as much. Maybe that's a possibility. It's it's going to be one thing to be watching for this offseason is because I do agree with you, John. I think the Cardinals have two needs with tackles. Maybe Humphreys is one of the guys who fills one of those holes. Um, but I think that's what's really going to be interesting to me is how they're going to address that in the first round of the draft. Is it going to be the second? I think you're going to have to end up seeing at least the Cardinals and do a combination. And what's nice, at least for me, is even though this tackle class, maybe you've got the cap space to try to outpay a team or two and you end up overpaying a bit as long as you get a quality player. I think that'll be fine for the for the team just because it's such a sore need. Um, but on the other hand, it's like, are you going to have to draft one highly? Or uh, you look at the advantage that I see of there's going to be a really good defensive line class that's coming up where I think that's where you're going to be able to allocate quite a bit of money to. It's not a good wide receiver yes. class, which is why I've talked about that with the um, with the draft. You're probably going to bit your the number one free agent wide receiver in the NFL is going to be signing with the Cardinals next year. And that's going to be Larry Fitzgerald considering the, uh, you know, a knock on wood, some knock, knock the uh, injury concerns we've had with AJ green. The fact that he's wanted to get paid. He may even be not coming back until he gets a new deal from them or from another team. But uh, with the last thing, let's go in before we just talk and wrap it up with some Bengals talk, got a question at least from at Sheldon 0501. Um, he said, where do you think the team is going to pick in the draft? And then he also followed it up with, what's the overall view of Jerry Judy? What's kind of the similarities with him? And we've gotten some of this as far as with the wide receiver talk and everything. And I'm kind of with you, pick the best player. I think that may be a wide receiver. Maybe it ends up being a tackle. But where do you think right now uh, the Cardinals are going to end up finishing with the NFL draft in, in terms of that capital, John? Because right now they're, they're top six, and this is kind of the uh, battle to see who falls into the top three or the top four against the Cincinnati Bengals, who are kind of the fifth team in the NFL this week. 
Where, where do you think they're going to pick? Is this another top five team? Or is this going to be a spot where we're like, okay, it's going to be somewhere between that 6 to 12 range. We just don't know when because we don't know when the cards are going to win a game. No, and they're winless in their first uh, month of the season. I, I think that they're going to be top five. Um, I think I think Miami will pick ahead of them. Here are the teams mm-hmm. I think have a good chance to pick ahead of them based mm-hmm. on the, the remaining schedule and their division. I actually do think... Denver's going to screw around and win a couple games. Um, I think Washington didn't will... Look, Zacco didn't look bad. They were almost taking no, down and the they've Jags. Got, they've yeah. got talent on that team. they got a um, bad division with the Chargers struggling with injuries, with the Oakland Raiders still over. In they'll there, win, they'll they win a handful yeah. of games, and, and they'll, they'll, they'll leapfrog the, the Cardinals. Um, I think that there's a good chance the, the Jets, based on Sam Darnold's injury, the Dolphins and the Redskins all pick ahead of the Cardinals. Steelers um, I, are so interesting then because of Rudolph. I don't, I don't know, man. I don't know with that one. It's because then that's the Dolphins again. So, <laughs> yeah, I think I think for sure the Dolphins, and then I think the, the Redskins are are sneaky top pick candidates <sighs> because of the fact that they're so mismanaged and they could fire Jay Gruden reportedly Gosh, imagine after, if they, after any game. Uh, I wonder if they would have Rosen Haskins at some point because he didn't look ready or prepared at all. In no, he team. he looked terrible, uh. and then so. I, I think I think the Cardinals are going to be picking between four and six, um, and I think they're going to get have a chance. This is super cliche. I think they're going to get a really good player. I think that they're going to look <laughs> at a like a, a Jerry Judy. To me, is again, you you know how I feel about first round receivers. Mm-hmm. If you take one, he better be really good, an all pro type of player that can come in and be a franchise yeah, I caliber. I don't pass like catcher. late first round wide receivers just for that reason, John, because the late first is always this hyper athletic guy who hasn't put it together. Now, the top end guys, now there's, there's definitely, I agree with you, we've seen some busts. We've seen a Kevin White. We've seen Sammy Watkins move to a different team and battle some injuries. We've seen a guy like um, even Mike Williams in the top seven hasn't turned out. Corey Davis hasn't turned out as well, even though he's flashed at times. Like You're right. There are different ones that we've seen in top ten picks and receivers. Now, the one difference, I think, with this class is from all by all accounts, it looks to be the strongest class since the 2014 class where we did get to see Watkins. We saw Beckham. We saw Mike Evans. We even saw DeAndre Hopkins, who slid a little bit due to a combine incident. But all of those guys essentially have been like on that track for, you know, at least ring of honor. Not quite maybe the Larry Fitzgerald caliber of players, but who really is. But that's where I think if that's in that caliber of class, then I'm fine with that. Sign me up. It's the fear, obviously, I think, of if it's that is the projects. A... It's, it's, right. the, it's the guys who aren't refined. You want a refined prospect capable of coming and playing outside and putting up 1,000 yards as a rookie. I think in this offense, Jerry Judy would transition pretty seamlessly. Oh, he would um, kill it like and, uh, in a lot of different ways. Cause yeah, the, uh, I, 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 again, I don't love it because I because mm-hmm. I know the state of the Cardinals' yeah. line of scrimmage yeah. on if both sides. If you fix the line first for some of those and have a plan and you've got development, I'll be I'll but, be much more comfortable with that. But if Humphreys <laughs> plays 16 games and, you, and you're telling me that they can get a – they've said this to me every year, but you can get a right yeah. tackle at the top of the second round – and you get a capable playmaker for Kyler in the outside, and you get suddenly Fitzkirk, you're, you're looking uh, yeah, yeah, considerably yeah. better f- uh, as your 2020 offense projects for next season. And you're right, Blake. I I have to be realistic, and, and, and you know, as much as I struggle with the pass pro, they, they do not have uh, game breakers, big-time playmakers on offense. Either. They just don't. Yeah. They don't. Yep. And, and, and to find those, you have to 
invest considerable resources. So I've warmed up to the idea. I know what kind of player he is. CeeDee Lamb, I think, fits that category. I think he's mm-hmm. he's a top 10 talent as well. Uh, Murray's former uh, running mate at Oklahoma. Mm-hmm. As, as far as a comp pick, the only one that I've seen for Jerry Judy, uh, Daniel Jeremiah of the NFL Network said he's, he's Odell Beckham light. Yeah. Um, and so I don't, I'm not ready to go that far. I know he's, a, he's slightly undersized for my liking. He's a little over six one, but I mean, hell, mm-hmm. the Cardinals have a five, nine quarterback. So yeah, I know. Right. It's, it's like, forget, you're forget my, it's, hide. it's a little bit of, and this is kind of another Alabama type thing. It reminds you a bit of Amari Cooper. If you look at how Amari Cooper was viewed coming out and it took the situation in Dallas to essentially show him up as a number one, but it's the same height, same size, essentially. The biggest difference is he's probably going to end up running a blazing four three and he's a crazy good guy. Um, as far as deep threat, um, fantastic feet. So I, I kind of am a little bit closer with the Beckham, but I think if you could find like a little bit of a thin line and say, all right, we're going to talk about a guy who's got a lot of speed for each of that, and then you kind of mm-hmm. put a little bit of some of the what Beckham has done for the most part, but I think that you're right, and it's not as much of the contested catch or like the maybe take it, take it away from you guys. Beckham is, he's shown some of that, but it's a little bit more of – this is going to be kind of a, a little bit of one. If, if you can think of with how Kurt Warner was with his two kind of guys with the Torrey Holt and Isaac Bruce, maybe that's a little bit more of your type that you'd be talking about as far as you can still get a ton of separation and burst off of the line. And I think it would be a good fit. Lamb to me reminds me a lot of DeAndre Hopkins as far as mm-hmm. the contested ability outside. And that's part of where like, it almost feels some people have said it's almost inevitable. Like you put Murray with him because you got the back shoulders, you've got the contested play up top, and he's got a lot of the speed to make deep plays too. Henry Ruggs is someone who the closest thing you can think of him at least is you look at Marquise Brown. If that let's say that the Cardinals are in a spot where they're going for more speed or maybe things change for that one, Ruggs at least uh, has been impressive overall. Some people have even questioned if he's better than Judy just because you've seen on him blocks him a lot this year and he's probably a you know high four two type player some are wondering if he's going to potentially challenge you know john ross's record at least just because he's got that much hype as a speedy guy maybe you say all right well you know you put your own version of hollywood brown with him there's there's options at least that are the case and at least what's nice about this is because there's five or six potential first round options there's also this year potentially five or six guys who could go in the first round who are tackles. Maybe it just ends up being where the Cardinals luck out that can get both of those different needs and just take the better player and then whether yep. they want to make a move up for that one. If it's like, hey, would you rather have two first-round picks but fill a left tackle and fill a wide receiver or would you rather you know wait on it a little bit and keep that third-round pick for this year? I, I would be the, uh, at least for the Cardinals, maybe you end up saying you've got those huge needs, you're at least able to be aggressive. So that's all I think that you talk about at least, and it's tough, but what it does highlight to me, John, is there was a lack of preparedness by Steve Kime, just coming back to this, in terms of they didn't find anyone who was going to be, maybe we'll see what happens with the jury out on Isabella, but they did not find an outside receiver, and that's why you're talking about this being such a huge need, and they did not find a capable plan, at least at tackle. Uh, obviously, we're even talking about no matter what would have happened, they would have needed to find a new tackle next year, because two of their tackles' contracts are up whether that's poor drafting, poor management, it just is part of what you're seeing with the Cardinals is you are going to need to just focus on drafting guys who are going to be able to make plays and drafting guys who can be on the line. And I think once the Cardinals can do that, I think hopefully you've got enough ability that things will sort itself out. And and we'll see. Um, we'll wrap up tonight's uh, kind of double parter that we've put out with uh, just a quick Bengals preview because – there's not much to talk about, John. Their linebackers are not good. The defensive line has not gotten as much pressure as you'd like. Corner situation seems to be a mess, and they're missing now their top two wide receivers in A.J. Green and John Ross. 
You got Eifert and Uzuma at tight end, and Andy Dalton looks bad. So this is a game you would think at least that the Cardinals should at least, maybe it's closer than we'd like it to be because it's on the road. This is a game you'd hope that the Cardinals could win. I just wonder if it's going to end up being, and this is kind of my fear, John, They've put up a lot of yards when they've needed to. Maybe that all changes when they struggle because of the lack of receivers, but we haven't seen that happen so far with this Cardinals team. I fear at least is the Cardinals offense is just not going to be good enough without their own wide receivers with things sputtering that it turns into kind of this long, like, 9-7 to seven type of game, at least for the most part, and you end up coming up on the short end of it. Because um, I don't think this Cardinals team is able to win if it turns into a shootout. What are some of your thoughts on the Bengals from what you know and have seen? Yeah, we talked. We touched on this. I think of the, the the pod from earlier this week. I think that they are have very similar uh, weaknesses as this Cardinal team, uh, specifically in the offensive line. Their offensive line, I, w- I would say, is is um, worse than the the state of the Cardinal offensive line. Outside of, they've got some a couple high picks on the interior. Billy Price uh, is somebody that I, I've always liked. Uh, Cordy Glenn is hurt right now. Uh, uh-huh. I loved Michael Jordan, not the basketball player, but the Ohio State guard coming out. Uh, and he's looked, yeah, but they he's didn't looked, need a guard as much, and so they didn't draft right. a guard, and so it's like, eh, well, he's looked me. good. So that, but they're yeah. going to start Andre Smith at left tackle Sunday. That tells you everything you need to know. Bobby Hart at right tackle has been a huge disappointment. So that's that's a that's a position where the Cardinals can expose them. I, I'd be bringing <laughs> uh, a lot gonna, of heat if they can really have if they have a Chandler Jones versus Andre Smith sack that happens. Oh my gosh, I'll, it'll be cathartic to I think some yeah. Cardinals fans and Suggs, is, Suggs knows that division too. Tyler Boyd is their is their top receiver. I think he was a, a high draft pick at one point out of out of Pittsburgh, uh, and he's got mm-hmm. actually pretty decent numbers this year, slightly under 300 yards. But they're going to be they're going to be in a similar position offensively where they're going to struggle to move the football. Um, but who knows against this Cardinal defense? Uh, and then defensively for them, they've got um, you know capable players on their defensive line. They still have Geno Atkins, Sam Hubbard's a defensive end from Ohio State that that went in the second or third run last year. That's got a handful of sacks already this year for them. Carlos Dunlap has kind of been an underperformer since he got paid. And then their their linebackers are uh, incredibly average. And then their their back seven has, Joe Mixon uh, on the offensive side is yeah. the one guy that maybe. Yeah. And so can you yeah. can you can you stack the box? Can you make Dalton beat you? Can you p- apply significant pressure? I think if there's a game that the Cardinals can force uh, a number of turnovers, mm-hmm. it's going to be this game because of Dalton's immobility, because of his lack of arm strength, and because you are going to be able to exploit the the state of their offensive line. Get him in positions where he has to throw on third and long, second and long. The Cardinals are going to be in a posi- better position to force turnovers this game. I think that I think we could see their first interception since week eight of last year. I think we could see forced fumbles. I mean, the Cardinals got to Russell Wilson last week, so they they, they need to bring that that same heat, that same um, the same pressure that they showcased last week that was missing against Kyle Allen. And I think I think the good news is I think this is going to be a competitive game. The bad news is I just I feel like it's asking a lot right now, this team, the state of it, the personnel to go on an East Coast road trip. And I got pushback on Twitter. East Coast. They play on the East Coast time zone, even though it's technically the Midwest. Right. This is a 1 p.m. kickoff for them or uh, in, in Arizona time. It's it's 10 o'clock on West Coast. So um, it's still a, a very early kickoff. But I, I will say this. This feels like a Kyler Murray to me try to do everything on his own oh. and i think this might this might be the kind of team where you're able to get away with that i don't love doing that every mm-hmm. week um most weeks but against cincinnati you may just think 
can we just can we just feature Kyler Murray and then just feed David Johnson and Larry Fitzgerald and that like that might be good enough this week. That might, I honestly that might be good enough. I think that your fear is if he does too much hero ball and you do end up turning it into a disastrous um, thing on the road. I think that this is going to be a rough sloppy game because I think these are two rough sloppy teams. I do think at the end of it, though, the game tilts in Arizona's favor just because wow. of... I, I think that's because you look at the tackle situation and you still ultimately have Terrell Suggs and Chandler Jones going up against the tackles, and because the Bengals' linebackers are just not good, we got to see them get dink and dunk to death. I, I said, I think, sink, sink and dunked on Twitter, but they just literally... like Mason Rudolph didn't attempt to pass beyond the line of scrimmage like throughout most of the game. And the Steelers still put up 24 points, and despite, you know, not being able to, um, they still sacked Andy Dalton a bunch, the tackles were in trouble, and they're still able to force turnovers and capitalize just by just tossing passes to the running backs. That's where David Johnson is best. I think we'll get a more carries by Chase Edmonds, which will help the running game, and I think that we'll get some of those smaller, shorter passes. And I just don't really have a lot of faith in the Bengals. I don't think it's going to be one of those Murray breakout games. Like, I think that you're right. I think it's going to be something like I would go with, say, say 17-6 Cardinals, I think would be where I'll go. Now, if it does turn into the opposite and where the Cardinals are the ones making the mistakes or if there's things that pop up, then I think it's going to be kind of a code red. We're going to be starting to talk about, like, okay, the Falcons game, the Giants game. Like, is it going to be an area where the defense is just so bad that you're going to end up giving, you know, seeing Mike McCoy-type treatment? for Vance Joseph. I don't think that's going to be the case. Uh, I think that they're going to wait till he gets Patrick Peterson back. McCoy was just an era of it was all-time absolutely worst that you could think of on offense. Um, and that was, I think, part of where it hasn't gotten that bad for the Cardinals yet. But I, I will lean the Cardinals towards this one. I think that there is an element of desperation I think that they're going to have at least because they're looking ahead at the schedule. Now, maybe, that's, maybe it's the same thing for the Bengals, John. I I don't know how much you can count on this team, but I've at least seen the Cardinals being able to put up about 16 or 17 points consistently on a week as long as they can hit their field goals. And I don't think I trust this Bengals team to do that. Well, I I hope for the sake of this team that you're right. I think it would do a lot for morale. Um, I think it's, man, it's it's a brutal place to be winless in the NFL. And I think um, Kyler was uh, on instagram i posted this on twitter um <laughs> and he got, read i think like one of the first comments to a post that he had made um and the post was just pretty generic about um you know adversity or whatever i don't even remember what it was referencing uh, but it was really low-key and then the comment below was just the most <laughs> like ignorant fan comment like man you were you know i loved you at oklahoma i'm rooting for you but you're just basically it was just dismissing how he's played so far um, and and Kyler's response was, "You sound dumb as hell." He's a star with all those first and second yeah. and third round draft picks at Oklahoma. I mean, what's happened when he's at the Cardinals? What's I mean, if you don't yeah, think yeah. Kyler Murray knows, like, like this team is not very good. The, the comment was, "Hug the road." Antonio Brown told to him that in Parliament. Year. Remember, we talked about it. Antonio Brown literally like told him that this year too. It was hilarious. Yeah. like, man, get yourself some help because you are not looking good out there. With no, everyone. and so not and good out there. this is this is a winnable game for the Cardinals. And I, here's my prediction. I don't mm-hmm. think they win. Unfortunately, uh-huh. I just I, I I worry about the personnel level on this team, and I think that that's fair. I, I, I just I, I, I worry about the, the mental state of some of these players and I I don't know really if 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 they've got it in a win an East Coast game and um, if this game was at home I'd feel differently but I'm gonna go uh, Cincinnati wins it 24 21.
Okay. We'll see. The Cardinals have been much better away than they have been at home, sadly enough. So we'll see if that's the case. But I think that, yeah, this is going to be a do-or-die thing for the Bengals. Um, going to be, a, um, I don't know if I can say do-or-die for that, but I do think this is going to be a really interesting game to see how, you know, with Andy Dalton and everything else, if it turns into the end of, uh, you know, the transition or an era or Gosh, it, it's it's tough spot to be in for the cards. Your hope is that they come out with the win. I think one one of the things I thought about coming in was ah, maybe I should just predict another tie. Like it ends at like you know, fifteen fifteen or something like that. One with some weird score and two clanked field goals in overtime or something because that's about how these two teams have played. Cardinals have shown maybe a few more flashes, but the Bengals played the Seahawks tough the one week and then follow it up so well that's going to be it for us at least overall tonight um we'll see hopefully we're talking about a cardinals win at least uh when we come back that i think will put a lot of minds and people at ease just to get that first one checked off uh, we'll uh, definitely have more for you upcoming at least with revenge of the birds i know we're hoping to see if we can try to be able to do a little bit of college football as far as i know there's a lot of people who love to talk draft who listen to this but we're in the season right now so uh, as far as for in the season where to go for your information your reactions or if you just really want to rant about what steve Kime has done where can the listeners find you on twitter john I'm at Johnny Touchdown, uh, J-O-H-N-N-Y Touchdown. I also contribute, of course, like we mentioned, to RevengeOfTheBirds.com. Blake, where can they find all of your content? Yeah, it'll be there at the RevengeOfTheBirds.com as well. Um, we're uh, super excited, at least. I know we uh, got to finally see a picture of our uh, online swag that we had from a shirt that was delivered to Aiden. He took a picture wearing it. It was Love really that. fun to see. Um, don't forget that we do have, um, uh, as far and most of that obviously is just more of it's we want to represent cards. Love. We do all of this stuff at least just because we love talking about this team during the good and the bad. Unfortunately, John, throughout our time on the podcast, it's been a little bit more bad than good. We're hoping that there's going to be uh, brighter days ahead for this team. Absolutely, Blake. Let's hope we're talking about a win next week. <laughs>